All right. Today, we wrap up our series on one of the most pivotal phrases in all of Scripture, but God, but God. There aren't many words that have brought so much assurance, peace, and strength like this one little phrase. Last week, we talked about how God's ways are past our comprehensions, and because of that, for us, they are often untraceable, untraceable. And so because we can't trace the lines, we can't fully grasp the image that God is building. Yet we know that God is good and that God's way is often very different from the world's way. So that even when we can't trace God's timing, we can trust his goodness. We also spent some time looking at how fast-paced life has become, and then concluded that hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. Dear friends, the world's way is hurry, but God's way is rest. And that rest is found in Jesus. Now, in today's sermon, we're going to look at what I believe is the biggest and most important but God in all of Scripture. But before we get to that verse in Ephesians 2.4, I want to go back a little bit for context. So we're going to go back to verse 1. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, and which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others." But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. This is all such good news. And it's something we need to hear often especially as this world beats us down and the enemy tells us his lies. Mankind created in the Garden of Eden fell into sin. And now every single man and woman who have been born since Adam have been born dead. And unfortunately, I don't think the church has really grasped this reality when I hear Christians speak and teach, it seems like the emphasis is generally on behavior. And thus the call is repent of your sins. But the gospel does not call us to merely be behavioral modificationists because as we understand the truth that we were all born dead, all that would do is change people's behavior as they are on the way to hell. No, in the gospel, we are called to be resurrectionists. Resurrectionists. Mankind sold itself to Satan 
and thus walks according to Satan, even though we didn't even realize it. We didn't know. As we just read in Ephesians 2.2, we walked according to the ways of the world. And what are the ways of the world? 1 John 2.16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we walked this way. We did our way. We did things our way in order to satisfy ourselves. And I think if we're honest, we can admit that sometimes we did this at the expense of others. But that way, the way of the world is actually a satanically sourced way of living. And this is why Jesus tells us in John 16 that he overcame the world because he gained victory over the enemy. And then in 1 John 2, we are told that in Christ, we have overcome the wicked one. So before we gave our lives to Christ, we were born into a world that had a satanically sourced way of living. We were stuck in it. We didn't even realize the truth about us, that we were dead. And what can a dead person do? Nothing, nothing. But God, God stepped in to resurrect us and make us alive. One of my favorite verses in all of scripture comes from the mouth of Jesus. In John 5, 24, when he said, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me, in him who sent me, has everlasting life. Everlasting life. Shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Christianity is not interested in moralizing dead people. No, the gospel brings dead people to life. Going back to Ephesians 2.1, we read, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, many people will look at this. They will read this and say, well, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. I'm living I'm enjoying life. I'm succeeding at many of the things I do. I'm living the way that I want to. So how can that possibly equate to death? But dear friends, Scripture is so plain on this matter of where we were without Christ. We weren't dead to the world. We were alive to the world. It's God we were dead to. And we couldn't save ourselves from that situation. He had to step in with his grace and call us. It was his grace. It was his love. It was his goodness that wooed us to him. And that is why this but God passage in Ephesians 2 is so important. 
so that we can realize just how lost and how dead we were without Christ. Bodily, we were very much alive. Mentally and emotionally, very much alive. Even relationally with other people, very much alive. But spiritually, before Christ, we were dead. Our spirits were dead to God and to the things of God. And that's how someone could sit in a church their entire life and never receive life. That's how a person could read their Bible their entire lives but still treat people so horribly. And that's just the fact of the matter. We can do certain things, we can read certain things, but until the Spirit of God is within us, it will all be for naught. It's just an exercise, often a mental exercise. Do you realize that some of the greatest Bible scholars, the people that know the most about the Bible and its history and its context and the original languages are atheists? They know a lot about the Bible, but it doesn't change their life. All the other things could be going right in someone's life. But Jesus said, what does it profit a person to gain the whole world, yet lose their soul? A life full of money and gain and things will eventually end in death. And without Jesus, it's the type that is eternal. It's what Paul is talking about in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. That's the part of the verse I'm focusing on here, but I can't help but read the rest because the, the good news comes right after that, right? But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But look at that first part. For the wages of sin is death. Some people look at this phrase and they equate it with eternal torture in hell. But is that, is that what's being talked about here? No, this is talking about something the Bible refers to as the second death, which is eternal separation from God. When the Bible talks about a second death, it's a term that's used four times in the book of Revelation. I believe it means just that. When it says death, it means death. Is living for eternity, eternity being tortured in hell the same as death? Is that death? No, that's, that's, that's not death. Would a just and loving God still be just and loving if he chose to torture people for ceaseless eternities based upon a short earthly lifetime of sin? That's not just. It's not love. The second death is eternal separation from God. That's what it is. And who is God? He's light. He's love, he's gentleness, he's holiness, he's kindness, he's mercy, he's grace, he's righteousness. And I could go on and on and on. Can you imagine spending eternity with no light, no love, no gentleness, no kindness, and so on? That sounds like hell to me. That's what the second death is. And that is what Jesus experienced on the cross and in the grave for you. Jesus died the second death 
so that we wouldn't have to. That was our end. That's where we were all headed in our spiritual deadness. But God stepped in and offered us a way out. Yet isn't it just amazing how so many people can live a life of spiritual deadness apart from him and still find enjoyment in it? Look at what verse three says among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Look at the verbiage in this passage. It says desires. Some versions say passions. That almost sounds inviting, doesn't it? Almost sounds inviting. It's the mindset of whatever I think, whatever I feel, that's what I'm going to do. On the surface, it sounds wonderful and free, doesn't it? But is it? Is it? And don't get me wrong here. What Paul is talking about here does not necessarily just mean getting drunk, doing drugs, having all kinds of fornications, robbing banks, and killing people. Yes, it can be those things, but it can also just be living each day and replacing God with all the things of normal everyday life. It can be full, the the full pursuit of the job, the house, the motorcycle, the kids, the sports, the travel, the stock market, the recreation, et cetera, et cetera. And those things aren't bad in and of themselves. But the problem comes when we try and use those things to bring life, to bring fulfillment, when God is the only one who can truly do that. It's like, are are there any puzzle lovers here? Anybody? Okay, there are a few of y'all. I know, I know if, if, if Jeannie Tally was here, she'd raise her hand. It's like putting together a puzzle. And as you go through the process, it's enjoyable. It's fun. But then you get to the end and you're missing the very last piece. There's no fulfillment in that. There's no fulfillment, and it doesn't matter how much fun you had in getting to that point. Without the last piece, there's no fulfillment. There's no joy, and that's what it's like going through life, trying to fill your life with all of these things in the world, but leaving God out of the equation. It might be fun. It might be enjoyable. It might be a good time, but at the end of the day, there's no fulfillment there. In my time in ministry, I I have been with a number of people on their deathbeds right before the end. People of all different kinds. But I've yet to meet a rich person who got rich because they disregarded their family and lost their kids who says with their dying breath, I wish I could have made a little bit more money. There's no fulfillment in that. The fulfillment is in relationship. God made us for relationship with each other and with him. So none of those things can actually satisfy the spirit. And it's 
if that's all there is in a person's life, it will eventually lead to death. And without Jesus, the eternal kind. And so, yes, we don't even recognize this until the Holy Spirit shows us how great our need is for a resurrection to new life. The fact of the matter is this. Until you know you're dead, you're not gonna go looking for life. Another thing, Jesus, he didn't come just to forgive our sins. That was only a means to an end. He forgave us to justify us and to reconcile us back to God so that his spirit could live within us. He took our old person to the cross with him in order to die with him, be buried with him, but then be resurrected with him into new life. And then when he went to heaven, he sat down at the right hand of God. But do you realize that in Christ, we are there too? Ephesians 2, 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Because of Jesus, we are seated in heavenly places, righteous, restored, justified, made whole, made new, and filled with every spiritual blessing. That is what is ours in Christ. You want to talk about grace? This is the biggest but God grace story ever told. We were not forgiven just to stay as we are. No, that was only the start of things. Jesus said it this way. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. God's will is for us to live a life that is more abundant than anything that we could ever imagine because it's a life of assurance, knowing that we are loved, we are forgiven, we are saved, we are adopted as children of God and filled with the Spirit of Christ. And this abundant life isn't just meant for this earthly life but it carries over into the next one to come. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We are going to be God's trophies of grace for all of eternity. Just let that sink in. And he had to extend his grace toward us. Because we used to be dead. We used to be dead, and there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we can't work for it. We've just got to accept it. We can't brag about it. We've just got to believe it in faith. And the grace of God has transformative power. It has transformative power. It's the grace of God that gives us a new heart, 
It's the grace of God that renews our minds. It's because of the grace of God we are called new creations. God's grace continues working on us even after we've fully received it. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are God's work of art. We are God's masterpiece. He's proud of us. He wants to show us off. We are his trophy of grace. And we were brought back from death, created anew in Christ Jesus for good works. We don't do good works in order to be saved. But instead, we live a radical life in such close connection and communion with him that he expresses his life through us and we end up doing the good works of the Holy Spirit as we walk this thing out in faith. It's a total transformation, y'all. And it's all because of grace. This is our witness. This is our testimony. This spirit-filled, renewed life that we are invited to live is attractive to others. And they will look at us and they will ask, what do you have that I am missing? And that's when we have the opportunity to introduce them to Jesus. In our Sabbath school class this morning, we were talking about how how God has forgiven us so much, God has extended so much mercy to us, and then he asked us to extend forgiveness to others, to give mercy to others. And let me tell you, when somebody is being mean and nasty and rude to you, and you respond in mercy, and you offer forgiveness to them before they even said that they were sorry or apologized, that will get their attention. How many times have you had that experience with people in your daily life? Like, that is rare. And living in the world, it is impossible. It might show itself, but there are ulterior motives. But in the spirit, it's a promise. God promises this to us if we would just know and grasp and believe how much we are loved, how much we are forgiven, how much mercy has been extended to us, then why would we ever hold back love, forgiveness, and mercy from anyone else? It's Jesus on the cross. He went through court. He was lied about. He was accused. He was beaten within an inch of his life. He was nailed to a cross. And if that wasn't enough, while he is hanging there dying, people are rebuking him. People are mocking him. And Jesus' response was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When you don't know, you don't know. And I think that maybe if you look back in your life, you can remember when you didn't know. And so when, when, when somebody is acting towards you in a way that you know is just a way of the world, you can be assured that they just don't know. They don't know how much they are loved. They don't know how much they are forgiven. They don't know that God views them as child. And we have the opportunity to share that information with them. 
This is the power of grace. This is the power of Jesus. In Matthew 5, 16, Jesus called us to let our light shine. That's what we were created for, recreated for. And Paul comes to this point near the end of his letter to the Ephesians in chapter five, verse eight. He said this, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. Dear Christians, don't forget that you were called to shine. You were called to shine. Don't forget that you were brought from darkness into light. Don't allow anything to snuff out or hide your light. There's a world out there full of the spiritually dead who have no clue the abundant life that Jesus is freely offering to them because he's already paid the price for it. And maybe you can shine the light into their lives to awake them from their slumber. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Is there anybody here today who is willing to stand and say, I'm going to let my light shine? Is there anybody here who's willing to stand and say, I am willing to let my light shine? Is there anybody here willing to stand and say, I'm not dead in God, but I'm alive in Christ? Is there somebody who wants to stand and say, I am light in the Lord, and I'm going to walk as a child of light? Amen. Amen. As the prophet Isaiah said, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. As we close, I want you just to look around a little bit. See, see those who are making a commitment to be light, to walk as light. We need to support each other. We need to encourage each other. We need to exhort each other. Because there's a lot of darkness in the world, and that darkness can creep into our own lives. And if you feel darkness encroaching in your life right now, I want you just to look around. Look at all the light in this room. Maybe you haven't talked to anybody about what you're facing. Maybe you haven't talked to anybody about what you're going through but I believe that everybody is standing right now is saying, I am safe and I will bring light into your life. Let me help bear your burden. We're family, y'all. Family and light. Thank you for standing. You, you may be seated, but as you sit down, I'm gonna ask you to pull out your phones because I wanna give you something practical to apply from today's sermon. So take out your phones and, and get a picture of this week's secret place practice. Here it is. How is God calling you personally, you, with your gifts, with your talents, with your personality, with your life experience? How is God calling you to let your light shine? Spend some time in prayer and reflection this week concerning good works. 
and ask God for the desire to serve others so that they can come to know him and give him glory because of your good works, as Jesus said in Matthew 5. I put a companion text there as well. Maybe pray this one. Dwell on this. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Daniel 12, 3. Before we have our closing prayer, I'm gonna invite Brandon to come forward and just stand at the foot of the steps. And after the benediction, I will step down on this side as well. And after the benediction, you who wish can be dismissed. But if there's anybody here that has just a a, a specific burden, a special need, maybe you have a, a praise that you would like to share, we would love to hear from you. We would love to pray with you and take that petition, take that praise to the throne of grace. Let us pray. Our loving, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus. Without Jesus, we'd have no hope. We'd have no assurance. We'd have no forgiveness. We'd have no mercy. We'd have no life. Lord, I pray that we can all maybe spend a little bit of time today reflecting back on our life before we gave ourselves to you. Reflecting upon the spiritual deadness that we were in and the fact that you still loved us even in the midst of that. You died for us in the midst of that. You called us out from that. And you've given us new life. Lord, the light that you have placed within us through your spirit, we want to let that light shine in the world. And Lord, as we come into those who are maybe spiritually dead, they're walking around in darkness, but they don't even know it. Lord, may we have the grace and mercy and forgiveness and patience and love of Jesus as we interact with them. And as we show your light to them. Lord, you've given us a mighty task to go forth with our testimony and let our light shine. Lord, we want to do that. And Lord, we believe that we will because we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.